Recently, I was, uh, in fact, last week, I was uh, called to help with uh, confessions at a, a retreat from students with Marist High School. They were on retreat at um, Mackenzie Bridge, St. Benedict's there. And the teacher who was leading the retreat told a story which I had heard before, but I'd kind of forgotten. It's a story about a bishop who was a, had been approached by a, a lady who had claimed to have a vision of Our Lady, and uh, Our Lady had apparently uh, told her to go and tell the bishop that uh, she wanted a church built in a particular place uh, in her honor. So the bishop was skeptical, as they tend to be when someone comes with these uh, uh, supposed apparitions, and uh, so he said, to test this vision, I want you to go and ask Our Lady to ask her son, what was the most serious sin I ever confessed? And he thought that would be the end of it. So the lady went away and for some time the bishop heard nothing more, as our Lord is evidently taking his time in revealing to the lady the answer to this question. In the end, to the bishop's uh, surprise and a uh, little bit of annoyance, the lady came back and uh, she said, I have an answer to your question. God has answered the question. He said, well, what is it? The answer is, I've forgotten. No, you don't get it? God has forgotten the most serious sin uh, that the bishop had ever confessed. All right, so God forgets. We heard that in the... Uh, First reading today from the Book of Wisdom, and it was there in the antiphon. It must be the way I tell them. Um, that God overlooks the sin in order to bring the sinner to repentance. Now, it's not that he's ignorant of the sin or pretends the sin doesn't matter, but he overlooks it in order to win the sinner to repentance. We can see that in the Gospel today, uh, uh, where our Lord goes to Jericho, and there is this small man who wants to see Jesus. And he makes effort, every effort he can to see him, even climbing up the tree. And of course, Jesus knows that, this, that he's there. This is why he has gone to Jericho, to rescue this man from his sin. And he doesn't say, oh, I know you, Zacchaeus. I know what a dishonest man you've been and all the rest. He says, no, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house. Come down. I must stay at your house. He overlooks the sin in order to win the conversion of Zacchaeus. And what is Zacchaeus' reaction? It's precisely the repentance that the Lord wished to stir up in that man by overlooking his sin. Because everybody says, well, how is he going to the house of this sinner? And Zacchaeus says, that behold, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have extorted from anyone, I shall repay it four times over. Zacchaeus doesn't simply say, well, I'll give back what I stole, what I gained dishonestly. He, uh, uh, he, he repents and does much more than what is required by strict justice. This is the work of making up for our sins, of showing true repentance, that we add voluntarily 
sacrifices, prayers, almsgiving. You know, if you've stolen $10, you've got to restore $10. That's restitution. But you've also, there's the sin to somehow make reparation over. So you offer other sacrifices and prayers and maybe give alms to the poor as ways of making up for the sin that you've confessed. This is really what we do for ourselves in order that we may um, be adequately purified when we uh, end this life and pass into the next. But also we can do these things on behalf of the souls in purgatory. On Friday we celebrated the Feast of All Saints where we recall that the church triumphant intercedes for the church militant. That's us. We are the ones fighting the battle of our spiritual lives. We, the church militant, yesterday we're reminded on the commemoration of all the faithful departed, the all souls, we're reminded that we, in turn, may intercede for the church suffering, which are the souls in purgatory. And we are united through the communion of saints, the, the church triumphant, all the saints in heaven, the church militant, all the faithful here on earth, the church suffering, those suffering souls in purgatory. We are united. We can assist one another. And we're called particularly to do that in this month of November, when we are reminded, which is dedicated to the faithful departed, the souls in purgatory. The uh, Church has constantly taught the doctrine of purgatory in keeping with uh, Scripture, and it is part of the Church's tradition. We can read in Scripture, for example, in the book of Maccabees, how sacrifice was, uh, uh, arms were sent to the temple in Jerusalem so that sacrifice would be offered for those who had fallen in battle. battle. And we are told that it was a good and wholesome thought to pray for the dead as one who believed in the resurrection. But if we do not believe in the resurrection, then praying for the dead is superfluous. We, are, we, we believe that it's possible to aid those who've gone before us by the sacrifices we ourselves take on, and supremely, of course, the sacrifice of the Mass, which is why it's such a good idea to request Masses to be offered for the souls of the faithful departed and for particular souls. The Church has constantly taught this doctrine in, in councils, but particularly at the Reformation, when uh, an attack was made on this teaching of purgatory, the Council of Trent taught it very clearly when it said as follows, follows, Since the Catholic Church, instructed by the Holy Spirit, in conformity with the sacred writings and the ancient tradition of the Fathers in sacred councils, and very recently in this ecumenical synod, has taught that there is a purgatory, and that the souls detained there are assisted by the suffrages of the faithful, and especially by the acceptable sacrifice of the altar. The Holy Synod commands the bishops that they insist that the sound doctrine of purgatory, which has been trans transmitted by the Holy Fathers and Holy Councils, be believed by the faithful of Christ, be maintained, taught, and everywhere preached. Well, this is a good occasion this weekend, particularly when we're still you know, in the, uh, the days after All Saints and All Souls in this month of November uh, to recall this teaching. We may wonder what purgatory is like, and of course, no one can tell us really because no one's come back to tell us. 
but uh, there, are, there are great, there's the teaching of the church, but also there are insights from the saints and some mystics as well. There's a great mystic of purgatory, her name was St. Catherine of Genoa. Her writings are considered private revelations, uh, which is a little bit more than just speculative theology. Um, but it doesn't mean that we have to believe them, each one of us, because they're private. And yet, the, the, her writings are made known to us, and she has been declared a saint. So we can certainly learn from them and even accept them. And she wrote this. Only once do the souls understand the reason for their purgatory, the moment in which they leave this life. So if you don't understand it now, you will when you leave this life. Immersed in charity, incapable of deviating from it, they can only will or desire pure love. There is no joy save that in paradise to be compared to the joy of the souls in purgatory. Isn't that interesting? That we, it's a joyful, they're in joyful hope. They are certain that they will enter into heaven. This joy increases day by day because of the way in which the love of God corresponds to that of the soul. Since the impediment of that love is worn away daily, this impediment is the rust of sin. As it is consumed, the soul is more and more open to God's love. And so, uh, the, the, as their love increases uh, be, by their increased purification, so their joy increases, St. Catherine teaches. And, the, and, he, and she goes on, God continues to draw the soul up into his fiery love until he restores it to that pure state from which it first issued. As it is being drawn upwards, the soul feels itself melting in the fire of that love of its sweet God. For he will not cease until he has brought the soul to its perfection. He will not cease until he has brought the soul to its perfection. God wants you and me to be perfect. He tells us, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Should we not have achieved that perfection by the end of this life? As long as we're in a state of grace, he will continue that work in us after this life uh, through his cleansing fire, his loving fire of purgatory, that our love may increase to such a point that we are able to see God face to face, that we are fit to see God face to face. So we should welcome this merciful teaching and this opportunity that we might have after this life, should we not have achieved that purification already in this life. Although it is preferable, certainly, to work at our holiness so that we might achieve that purification with the help of God's grace um, uh, by the end of our lives. But we do have that place of purgatory uh, to count on should we need it. Now we can also help the souls in purgatory by our prayers and, and sacrifices, particularly by seeking to gain indulgences when the church offers them to us. An indulgence is the uh, full is the remission of the temporal punishment due to sin already forgiven. So we have confessed our sins, uh, they have been forgiven, but there is still something to made up for them, to be made up for them. A bit like Zacchaeus who gave half his possessions to the poor, or restored fourfold to anyone from whom he had extorted. 
by doing an indulgence tax, whatever the church asks us to do, we may also gain for the souls in purgatory remission of their punishment in purgatory. In this week, from November 1st to the 8th, the church encourages us to go and visit cemeteries to pray for the dead. And if we are able to do that, we can do it every day but, uh, until November the 8th, we have the opportunity of gaining a plenary indulgence for the souls in purgatory. That is a full remission of, their temp of the suffering they are enduring in purgatory so that may they may be taken to heaven by the merits of Christ and all the saints, which the church, as having been given the power of the keys, is able to administer uh, to, to those souls. So you can go and pray to the cemetery, pray for the souls in purgatory, pray also for the Holy Father's intention, go to confession, either the week before or after, go to communion, preferably on the day, but if not, as soon as possible, before or after, but also, there needs to be, and this is a difficult one, total absence of all affection for sin, even venial. And that might be difficult. But we do our best, and we make an act of the will. And going to confession is a sure way of demonstrating that we have that absence of affection for even venial sin. Should any of those conditions not be fully satisfied, there is still a partial indulgence made available to the souls in purgatory. So I, I just ask you really to be generous in what you might do for the souls in purgatory. You will also win friends in heaven. They will be intercessors for you when they are in heaven. Uh, I'm going to try and do that myself. I couldn't do it on Friday because up and down the I-5 all day. But uh, yesterday I managed to visit a local cemetery and uh, a parishioner of ours spotted me there. So he came and joined me, which I was delighted. He came and joined me and uh, joined me in the rosary that I was, I was saying there for, for the faithful departed. And uh, so I encourage you to do the same if you're able to. I think if you're not able to because of physical disability, you're able still to do it uh, spiritually. So let's have, take this opportunity in this month to pray for our faithful departed. It's a great work of piety, of love for those our dear ones, but also for those whom we don't know. And maybe there are souls who need our prayers, for they have no one uh, to remember them.